So I do want to start by acknowledging, as Pastor Ed said, that there was a basketball game yesterday. Uh, There were actually two basketball games yesterday. One was a little more of interest to people in in this part of the country um, than the other. I also want to just point out that I am wearing the very liturgically appropriate color of purple today um, for the season of Lent as not to take sides um, because I'm, you know, actually the the blue team that I cheer for lost last weekend. So I I didn't have anything uh, to cheer for yesterday either. Um, But I did want to mention that I I spent 10 years being the pastor of congregational care here, and although I have transitioned into a new role uh, as spiritual formation, all of your laments that you want to to bring this week, I'm available. I can can still work with Patty and pastoral care and and Pastor Ed and Vern. Uh, Vern's probably offering prayers of rejoicing, but you want to offer prayers of lament, rejoicing. If you have to confess anything, uh, maybe a way that you treated a neighbor or thought about a coach that was retiring, whatever it is, um, if you want to bring any of those those things to the church, the doors are open, and, and we are here to pray with you. Some more of you might be lamenting tomorrow, too. There's still another game, right? So anyway, we're here. We're here to pray with you, and uh, we're, we're always glad to lead you and form you in ways that, that lead us to show Christ's love. So we do that through basketball and, uh, and liturgy and prayer and the Word. Friends, this a uh, couple of weeks ago, we had an opportunity to install some fun at our house. We put up a zip line. If you don't know a zip line, it's a, it's a piece of... Uh, cable that runs between two trees and you you hold on to something and you swing down. You are all welcome to come over and try it if you like. Uh, I've just got a a short waiver that if you could sign um, before you do that. Uh, The zip line is is super fun. I have tried it. My wife has tried it. Uh, All of the kids love it. Uh, Fun, right? The zip line? Good stuff? Yeah. Um, so our youngest son, James, is, is five. He's a little smaller. It's a little harder for him uh, to hold on. He was a little more intimidated by it when he first saw it, because I will also say that um, it, it moves pretty fast. Like you, by the time you get to the end, you're, you're coming in hot um, and, and it, it, you're moving. And so he was watching his, you know, his, his siblings do this, and he was kind of getting these big eyes because he wanted to try it, but he was a little bit nervous. I said, all right, buddy, the most important thing is that you just hold on with all you've got. That's all you got to do, and you'll be fine. So I'm going to put you on the zip line and let you hold on, and just hold on no matter what happens. Just hold on tight, and you'll be just fine. And so sure enough, he gets up there, and he, he holds on. He's not tall enough to actually reach the handles. He has to hold on to the, to the rope. Uh, but he got on there, and he held on, and I ran alongside him. And I think Emma and, and Anne ran alongside him. Anne's, Anne's very concerned about the facts. I, do you want to tell the rest of the story? I don't, did, I, did I miss something important? Maybe. Um, <laughs> anyway, James held on for dear life, and in doing so, he experienced great joy. He had so much fun. He had this big smile on his face. He's like, I'm going to do it again. And so we pulled him back up and let him do it again and again and again. So much joy. But the point is he had to hang on tight (laughs) in order to experience that joy. And that's what we're going to hear from God's word this morning as well. When we continue, as we continue our sermon series on the I am statements of Jesus. We hear this morning that Jesus is the true vine. And he invites us to hold on with all we've got, no matter what's happening in life. And that will lead us into the way of discipleship and into the way of joy everlasting. So I invite you to hear this word from John chapter 15, starting at verse 1 through verse 8. Jesus says this, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. He removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. 
You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This imagery of the vine and the branches is a rich one, particularly in Jewish tradition. And so when Jesus' disciples and those who were gathered around were hearing Jesus say, I am the true vine, it would have immediately registered with them in a way that it probably doesn't ring for us. Uh, just to talk a little bit about that, that background, the temple, when you went to, to worship in the temple, Uh, In Jesus' day, it was adorned with these huge, gigantic golden vines all throughout kind of the, as a, as a trellis all around the temple. And they were, they were made out of gold and, and they, wealthy people could bring their offerings to the church and, and allow their gold to be turned into more of these vines or these big, huge grapes, these, these big clusters. The clusters of grapes, the historian Josephus tells us these clusters were so big, they were as tall as a person. And, and some of the grapes that were on the vine, these golden grapes, were as big as a person's head, which is crazy. But that's, that's how big this offering was to the Lord. That's how much this symbolism of the vine and the branches was, it was meaningful to God's people, Israel. The vine and the vineyard were, were sacred images in Judaism and, in, in fact, in most Mediterranean societies at the time. And the vine represented the covenant people of God, planted and tended by God to bear much fruit in God's kingdom. Listen to these uh, few verses from scripture that, that remind us of that. Isaiah 5 verse 7 says this, The vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. The people of Judah are his pleasant planting. Jeremiah 2 verse 21 says, God planted, I planted you as a choice vine from the purest stock. How then did you turn degenerate and become a wild vine? Psalm 80 verse 8 says this, you brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. Israel is that vine. And so that, again, this this imagery of of a vine and branches and producing fruit was such a central foundational part of Israel's understanding of who they were in God. They were God's chosen people planted as a vine to bear much fruit. And the the grapevine was, was so symbolic of that act of being planted as God's people, being invited to grow and to bear fruit for God's kingdom that it became for, for Israel, for, for that nation, kind of like what the eagle symbolizes for us as Americans, right? It was this kind of the symbol of, of who we are. That's what the vine was to Israel. Jesus says, I am the true vine. What Jesus is saying in that moment, again, would have, would have really resonated 
with the people who were hearing it in that time. Jesus was actually doing something new. Jesus was saying, I know that you, Israel, have been told all along that you are the vine. But the funny thing about all those passages about, uh, in Scripture that from Isaiah and Jeremiah and the Psalms that, that describe Israel, describe God's people as the vine, most of the time it's followed by, so what happened? Why aren't you producing good grapes? <laughs> and that's understandable, right? We're, we're human. Jesus came and said, okay, I am the vine. I am the one that is planted by the father who existed before all time to bear fruit for the whole world. And so Jesus is living into his, his Jewish understanding of what that vine represented and said, no, no, I'm actually, I'm going to be this for Israel. I'm going to do Israel's job right. I am going to be Israel and show you how it's done. I am the vine. And you are the branches. And Jesus' job was to come and to fulfill that prophecy, the, 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 the prophecy to be God's people and to bear fruit. And Jesus shows us how to do that. As he said in verse 8, I've come so that you might bear much fruit and become my disciples. You may have heard a word repeated over and over throughout that scripture. Um, we hear eight times in those eight verses the word Abide. Abide. Yeah, over and over. Abide. Abide and keep abiding. That word is mentioned eight times. It's also, uh, it's translated other ways in, in different translations. Remain is one of the ways that it's translated. Um, it's, it's from the Greek word meno, which means to not only abide or remain, but to keep abiding and keep remaining. It's an active thing. It's not a, hey, just sit and be passive and, and abide and hang out. Uh, it's, that's not the kind of abiding. It's an active participating kind of abiding and remaining. Eight times he says it in eight verses. And so what he's saying is, and, and remember too, Jesus is talking to the disciples at this point in John's gospel. This is like some of the last things that Jesus says to them before he goes to the cross. We're going to celebrate that in, in just two weeks. Uh, we'll celebrate Easter together. But these are some of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples. Abide in me. And so abiding has to be more important than just what we do here on a Sunday morning. Right? It has to be more than just how we spend one hour a week. That's, that's what Jesus is calling us to. That kind of abiding is a constant awareness, a constant remembering of who we are and who God calls us to be as God's people, to abide in God's presence, to participate in God's presence, to cultivate in us an awareness of God's presence in order that we might be responsive to the things God's asking us to do or inviting us to do, to bear fruit. For God's kingdom. And as you listen to this, it's kind of, it, it's, there's a little bit of a, a tension in there as we hear about abiding so that we might bear more fruit, right? Abiding, we typically think of as a more of a passive thing, but like I said, the, the Greek behind it is a, is a more active abiding, but there's this tension. It's, abide so that you can grow. Abide so that you can bear more fruit. Remain where you are in Christ so that you can change. Right? And grow and bear more fruit. There's a tension between kind of being with God and doing for God. Author uh, Pete Scazzaro talks a lot about this, this tension between being and doing for God. In this book, uh, Emotionally Healthy Discipleship, it's one that I'm going to invite us to, to be reading about to, uh, together as we explore our discipleship pathways. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. But um, the, the subtitle of this book is Moving from Shallow Christianity to deep transformation. 
that's what we're hoping to do as Jesus' disciples. Um, But Pete talks about this tension between being and doing for God. And he says that our doing, the things that we do to to bear fruit, to, to serve and to love, all of that stuff, all of that doing has to come first out of a strong sense of being with God. Our doing has to follow from our being first with God. We have to enjoy God's presence to be able to share God's love with others. We have to know who the, who the gardener is, who the, who the vine dresser is in order to share that fruit of the spirit with others. Have you ever had one of those experiences where um, you are just all this, you're doing something very mundane, very normal. And then all of a sudden, like it, it, it becomes this, there's this awareness that you are in the middle of something really special and holy I'm reminded of, of in scripture when, when uh, Moses encounters the burning bush, right? And all of a sudden uh, God says, hey, you, <laughs> I know you're just shepherding. You're just walking along. You're just doing your job. Uh, and you, now you see this burning bush. You need to know that you are standing on holy ground. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you're doing something mundane and all of a sudden you realize it's, it's, it's more than that? I had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago on a Monday afternoon. It was, it was just this gorgeous, it's actually Monday morning. It was this gorgeous, beautiful, sunny morning. It was 60 something degrees outside. And, and I had come in to work through the, the top door at the, at the parking lot there. Uh, and the sun was shining and, and Vernon and Danae were coming in around the same time. And all of us were like, man, it's nice out here. And we're all, as we're all like walking in to go to work, right, for, for the week. And so we all actually just decided to, we couldn't, we couldn't be inside. We had to be outside. And so we went outside by the picnic table up there um, out on the, on the far side of the church. And we just sat out there and we each brought uh, something to read. And, and just to, to start our week that way. And as, as we're out there and, and they each had their dogs who were kind of laying in the sun, just basking there and, and just enjoying the warmth of the sun on their faces. And all of us were doing the same thing. And, and I was reading, I was actually reading, uh, I was actually reading from this book. And just in the middle of that reading session, I just kind of realized, wow, this is something holy. This, this moment here is, is something sacred. There's, there's more going on than, than meets the eye here. It was a beautiful moment. It was a way of, as I was reading through here, the chapter that I was reading was talking about enjoying God's presence. And I was doing exactly that. In fact, the way that Pete uh, said it was to, he was inviting us to, Relax in Jesus. Relax in Jesus. Have you ever relaxed in Jesus before? It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And, and Schizero goes on to talk about what relaxing in Jesus looks like. And he, he actually refers to another part in John where, where Jesus says, this is, the, this is your work, believing in me that you might be my disciples. And, and he goes on to talk about what that believing means. It's an active participation. It's an active faith. Just like the abiding that we're reading about this morning. Abiding in Jesus requires us uh, to sit in Jesus' presence, but with an active posture. Ready to be attentive to God's presence with us. And I think there, there are lots of ways that we can do that. Obviously, this is one, right? We're abiding in God's presence as we gather for worship here this morning. We are abiding in God's presence as we open God's word and, and, and read from, together from God's word, from scripture. We're abiding as we sing in worship together. But again, like I said, it's more than just what we do Sunday morning. It's, it's, our, it's the ways that we love our neighbor. 
when we're not here at church. It's the ways that we treat one another in the community. It's the ways that we uh, make comments on social media, right? All of that stuff is an opportunity to abide in Jesus, to, to relax in Jesus. And when we're doing it well, this is some of the fruit that we can expect. Pete says this, he's got a whole uh, table, a whole list of things here. He says, I know that I am relaxing in Jesus when, he says this, we're enjoying communion with Jesus even in the midst of disappointments and storms. If I am relaxing with Jesus, I am enjoying being with Jesus even in the tough things. I'm relaxing, I know I'm relaxing with Jesus when I am experiencing a lack of anxiety in my body and mind. Anybody had any anxiety these last couple of years in your body or your mind? Oh my goodness. I know that I'm relaxing in Jesus when I am maintaining my rhythms of being with Jesus, even in seasons of great pressure. When things are tough, that's another good time to be seeking and relaxing, seeking Jesus' presence and relaxing in it. I am, how about this one? I am less and less triggered when things go awry. <laughs> how are you with that? <laughs> I'm not great at it. When things go awry, my first thought is not always like, ah, Jesus, I'm just going to relax in you in this moment. <laughs> it's not usually my first thought. But I will say this. I, I, we've got a trip to Mepkin Abbey coming up in, uh, in, in May uh, in just a few weeks. Uh, we're inviting anybody who wants to come to, to come with us and pray with the monks, spend some time in spiritual retreat. It's going to be fantastic. One of the ways that they pray, when I was there on another trip, they told me that they spend time uh, reading God's word and just reflecting on it, seeing what God has to say to them through that word. And, and the, the, the priest that I was talking to said, you know, it's not always in the moment that I'm doing that that I realize the benefit of it. Sometimes it might be that I'm reading that scripture at 4.30 in the morning so that when this thing happens to me at 4.30 in the afternoon, I can respond with grace and humility and non-anxious presence. So of course there's fruit that we bear from, from spending time in God's word, but it might not be in that moment. It might be later. It might allow our, our enjoying time, relaxing with Jesus, might manifest itself later on in the day um, by not being so triggered when things don't go our way. I know I'm relaxing in Jesus when I can be present to the beauty and wonder of those around me. When I can enjoy a deep sense of knowing that I have nothing to gain and nothing to lose just to be present in God's will. I can experience deep contentment in caring for the people that God has entrusted to me. And I can be discerning and embracing the season in which God has placed me. These are all ways that Pete says he knows in his life when he's able to relax well with Jesus because that's some of the fruit that is born out of that practice of abiding in Jesus. And here's the thing that's interesting about that. Even Jesus himself had to abide. We read in verse two, and this is crazy, right? But Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he talks about how united he is with his father. Verse two, he says, God removes every branch in me that bears no fruit. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Even Jesus had to abide Jesus, God incarnate. Jesus, Israel done right. Jesus, the example that we all follow. Jesus had to abide 
in his father's presence in order to bear the fruit that God had called him to, do, to bear, in order to be obedient in the ways that God invited him to be obedient. Jesus had to abide in God's presence. And even Jesus had to experience pruning. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. Some of you know, uh, I've talked before about my, my in-laws are Christmas tree farmers. In fact, uh, Kathy, Christmas tree is, is with us in the back here. Um, I don't, although I don't see her, maybe she took off. No, over here. You were in the back. You moved. My mother-in-law uh, is, uh, they are tree farmers in Ash County. And a big part of growing, I don't know if you know this, but you can't just plant a tree and then come back in like eight years and chop it down and have a beautiful Christmas tree. Uh, there's a lot of things that need to happen in the meantime uh, to grow and to, to cultivate the growth of those Christmas trees. One of them is pruning, trimming. If you don't trim a Christmas tree, it grows in ways that inhibit its own growth. We all like those beautiful, rich, full Christmas trees where we have lots of opportunities to place our ornaments all over, right? Well, it, they don't show up like that by themselves. They only grow that way if they are pruned and trimmed all throughout their lives. If you don't prune them and trim the branches, the branches become too big and too heavy and too cumbersome and they block the light from the inside of the tree. They prevent the opportunity for further growth. They prevent other branches from coming in and filling in all those gaps. Nobody wants a Christmas tree with a big gap in it, right? We want the ones that are full and rich and beautiful and, and uniform and symmetric. That only happens by trimming. That only happens by pruning. You have to cut back some of the growth in order for it to grow fuller and more rich and more robust and stronger and more beautiful. And the same is true in our lives. We don't like pruning, do we? <laughs> I don't like to be pruned. Can you think of a time uh, that you have been pruned in your walk of faith? Usually that happens in, in ways that are really maybe not so pleasant, right? We resist pruning, even though we know that pruning means growth. But the thing with growth, it also means change, right? If something's growing, it's changing. And not all of us like that. Research shows that there's about 70% of us that do not like change, no matter what the kind of change is. It's about 30% of you that are like, yeah, change. Okay, that's awesome. Let's roll. But most of us are like, mm-mm. We think that change sounds good, but when it actually happens, we're like, ooh, ooh, wait, wait, wait a second. I like things the way they are, <laughs> the way they were. <laughs> we had a conversation about that in staff this week, talking about the things that we fear, the things that we as a, as a church might fear. We sometimes fear change. Things aren't the same as they were. Even though things look a lot closer today to what they looked like maybe two and a half years ago, we're different. We're in a different place. We're different people. We've been through things this last couple of years, we've experienced things. We've experienced opportunities to grow in our faith. And so we, even, even if it's starting to look how it used to, we're never going back to what it used to be, right? We're always growing. We're always changing. And so I think the opportunity, the invitation this morning is for us to consider in what ways might we need to be pruned in order to grow into the mission that God has given us and the vision that God has given us for this church and for this community? In what ways might we need to be pruned? In what ways might we need to, to set down some of those things that, that weigh us 
down? In what ways might we need to, to let go of, of those, those heavy branches in order to allow more branches, more growth, more rich and full expansion of, of God's kingdom here at Boone UMC? What, what things might we need to be willing to let go of? What, what things like regrets and, and bitterness and resentment and envy, what are, what are those things that are, that are weighing our branches down that really we could just go ahead and cut off and allow our faith in God to carry us without those things? I wonder, I wonder sometimes if we, if we look back and we hold on to, to growth that happened a long time ago as a sign that we're, that we're living and active and growing in our relationship in Christ today. It's easy to look back over the course of our life, right? And it's good to, to set up those, those pillars of stones that remind us of God's presence throughout. But God calls us to keep growing, right? To keep remaining, to keep abiding, in God's presence. So I know it's easy to think back and, and think of experiences or, or mission trips or Bible studies or, or, or something that happened in your spiritual life that was a beautiful moment that we remember and that, we, that helps shape and form our identity. And that's good. But it's also good to remember that God calls us to keep growing, to keep abiding today for the things that God's doing in our life today. You look at the way that the children of Israel were formed in the desert. For 40 years, they wandered, right? They were given manna each day. And if they tried to collect more of it and hold on to it, it spoiled. It didn't work. God provided every single day the thing that they needed to grow and to be strong and to be formed in God's will for that day. God says, my mercies are new every morning. Our growth in the past is not sufficient to sustain us in the new thing that God is calling us to do today. It's not enough. It's not enough. Our abiding that we've done a long time ago is not enough to, to give us the, the strength and the courage and the, the vision and the insight that we need to move God's church forward, to move this church forward, to move our lives forward in God's will today. It's funny how we, we realize this intuitively, right? Like we don't, we don't look at, um, I, I, tonight when it comes time to go to bed, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually go to sleep. I'm not going to say, you know what? I slept last night. I don't need to sleep tonight. I'm good. We, we, don't, we don't do that, right? Like I'm not going to go home and say, you know what? Uh, I don't need lunch today. I ate last week. I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm full. We all know that, right? So why do we do that with our faith? Why do we say, oh, you know what? No, I remember that one time that God was really active in my life and I know I'm set in Jesus. I'm good to go. It's not sufficient. God invites us. I mean, it'll work, right? God's salvation is good for all time. That moment that we, we baptized Easton this morning, like Easton, you are, you are good to go, my man. But God continually invites us to grow more and more every day. Abiding is, is about recognizing God's activity and presence with us today. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow, as the, as the hymn says, great is thy faithfulness. I want to close with an image um, that Rob Fuquay uses in his book, The God We Can Know. Some of you have been reading through this uh, as we've been doing this sermon series. He talks about, um, he talks about Jesus, the I am, uh, Jesus statements, the I am statements. He talks about this imagery of holding on to the vine in order that we might be able to produce, not, not us, in order that God might be able to produce fruit through us. 
And it's an invitation to, on one hand, just, just cling to that vine. Just like James, like hold on, hold on to that rope with all that you've got. That's what, that's what Jesus invites us to do, to hold on to the vine with all that we've got. No matter the storms, no matter the wind, no matter uh, how hard we hit at the end and swing back at the end of that, uh, that pendulum, that, that, sl- that slide that we do. Uh, just hold on with all that we've got because Jesus is there and Jesus is the source. Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the power that enables us to bear fruit. It's not, it's about holding on to the vine. It's not about looking around and seeing what other fruit other people are producing and comparing ourselves to that. No, it's not about trying to try harder to produce our own fruit. We can't, we can't do that. What we can do is we can hold on to the vine. We can be open to how God might bear fruit through us, but it's God's power that bears the fruit. It's not, it's not our doing. Do I receive, this is what Fuquay asks, do I receive my identity from the things I produce or the one who produces through me? That's the challenge of this morning's text. That's the invitation of this morning's text to remember to cling no matter what to the vine. And that's where we find our identity. That's where we find the source of our power. That's where we find the fruit that comes from our life is if we're clinging with everything we've got, it's okay to let go in the other hand of those things that that, that weigh us down, those things that need to be pruned, trimmed. We, We can let go of that, but hold on tight to the vine. And by doing so, we will experience joy beyond measure. We will experience salvation through Christ, the living word and the living vine. Amen.